Hello and welcome into the Floor Slap Podcast, everyone. As always, I'm your host, Sean. First off, apologies for missing last week. You know, the Floor Slap is something Jordan and I do on the side of our 9 to 5s. So, you know, sometimes life does get in the way. I don't know why some people choose to get married in November. Um, but anyway, we're back at it this week and have a jam-packed episode ahead of us. Uh, we're going to recap a couple teams that, you know, don't get a ton of attention nationally. We're going to recap Illinois' big comeback win against Minnesota and that magical performance from John Paddock. Um, we're going to talk about Indiana, who picked up their first Big Ten win of the season and also what's going on with Wisconsin. Going to get into a little bit of a Big Ten West update because that division is probably the toughest to figure out in all of college football. Um, it does kind of look like Iowa has uh, their stranglehold on the division, but there are plenty of scenarios that can open up pathways for almost every team in that division to uh, end up getting to the Big Ten Championship, so I'll touch on that. Also going to touch on what's going on with the Big Ten as a whole this year, because I don't think I was alone in thinking this could be a big year for the Big Ten in terms of improving their national perception, and needless to say, it hasn't really worked out so far, so I'm going to touch on kind of what's wrong in the Big Ten and why we should all be really excited for the addition of Oregon, USC, UCLA, and Washington next year, and why that's going to fix a lot of our problems. And then we'll get into previewing week 11. 11, which is just beyond me how we're already this far into the college football season going to preview uh, Michigan Penn State one of the biggest matchups of the entire weekend also going to preview Iowa versus Rutgers which is a matchup I'm really excited for and that'll take us into my five locks for five Big Ten betting locks that is for week 11 of the college football season so got a really busy episode ahead of us won't stall anymore let's jump right into it This is the Floor Slap Podcast. All right, so I'm going to kick off this week's episode first by issuing an apology to the Indiana and Illinois football programs and their coaches for you know what I've said about them over the past few weeks. It looked like both of them were dead in the water, and the way they both kind of turned around their seasons over the past few weeks have been really impressive. Um, I'm going to start off with Illinois. A few weeks ago, they were sitting at 2-4. and four. They were coming off back-to-back beatdowns at the hands of Purdue and Nebraska. Their offensive line play for really the entirety of the first half of the season was one of the worst in the entire country. Um, And I said that Illinois' chances of getting to a bowl game were dead. Fast forward to today, you know, they're a late game collapse against Wisconsin away from having three straight wins at this point. They only need two more wins to get to a bowl game, and their final three games are against Indiana, Iowa, and Northwestern. I predicted them at the beginning of the season to go 7-5, and five, and that's certainly not out of the question, because, you know, the way, the way the Big Ten West has shaken out so far this year, I don't think anyone would be really that surprised if Illinois ended up winning out. Um, but a big reason they're now in the position they are, where still somehow still alive in the Big Ten West and still gunning for a bowl appearance, um, is their incredible performance on the road against Minnesota. Minnesota, a Minnesota team who was kind of in control of their own destiny in the West. They picked up that head-to-head victory against Iowa a couple weeks ago, and it seemed like Minnesota was in position to get to their first Big Ten championship game uh, since the Big Ten implemented divisions back in uh, 2011. 
Um, the game, really, Illinois versus Minnesota, started off with a boom. It was not your typical Big Ten West slugfest. Uh, there were scores on the first five possessions of the game, 334 total yards combined midway through the second quarter. Looked like we were about to have a shootout on our hands. We had a 17-14 score, not even halfway through the second quarter, um, which is really unheard of based off of how Big Ten West football has played out this year. Um, but then, you know, the defenses kind of stood up. Um, Illinois ended up going up 21 to 20 early in the third quarter on a 54 yard touchdown pass to Caden Fegan, uh, that true freshman running back who, by the way, has emerged as one of the best true freshmen in the entire country and no one is talking about him. Um, and then the defenses really took over. Uh, there were seven consecutive punts after that touchdown, 68 total yards between the two teams. Um, and a lot of that had to do with defenses stepping up and taking away the run game. Um, and both offenses were really incapable of changing it up. So, um that was at the beginning of the third quarter the store score remained at 21 to 20 with under seven minutes left in the game and it seemed like the wheels were about to fall off for the Illini Isaiah Isaiah Williams he fumbled which gave Minnesota a short field and they scored two plays later and then Altmeyer got picked off on a deep ball which really should not have been thrown um it seemed like that was kind of good to seal the game for Minnesota but Illinois to their credit defense has been up and down a lot this year they forced the three and out when they needed it the most and that's when the magic really happens. Um, Luke Altmaier got sacked and set up a 4th and 11 from their own 15-yard line. They were down 5 points with 2 minutes and 47 seconds left. And he got a concussion on that play. It was very, um, you know, if you're watching the game, I don't think you really realize that Luke Meyer was Luke Altmaier was out um, until they were ready to take the, the snap on 4th and 11. Um, and then that brought in John Paddock. Uh, so for background, I know a lot of people probably aren't familiar with John Paddock, or at least they weren't until this past Saturday. He was a backup at Ball State for four seasons uh, before starting for them last year, and then he transferred this past offseason and actually turned down a number of scholarship offers at different schools where he uh, would have been in position to be the full-time starter. But uh, he grew up an Illinois fan. Uh, came to Illinois as a backup to join that Illini football program, and he only had 23 pass attempts for the for Illinois coming into um, today, and had almost no time to warm up when he was his number was called for that fourth and eleven with the game on the line. And to his credit, he was not rattled whatsoever. He stepped up in the pocket and threw an absolute rope uh, to his left for Isaiah Williams. Got the ball to him before two defenders really converged. Got that first down. And then next play, he connected with Pat Bryant for 17 yards on the other side of the field. And then right after that, running no huddle, he somehow found Isaiah Williams, who got behind that gopher defense. John Paddock threw a beautiful ball for a 46-yard go-ahead touchdown with 50 seconds left. Um, that ended up being the game winner. It was really an incredible story. If you haven't watched those highlights, really, I mean, all you have to go do is watch those final three plays because it was something magical. Um, you know, John Paddock showed the poise you usually only see in, in movies or at the highest level of football, and he delivered a win to Illinois when they really needed it the most. And I think it was one of the most underrated games start to finish at the college football weekend. So, shout out to Illinois who never quit on the season uh, especially got the guys up front on both offense and defense I mentioned it before they were getting pushed around in pretty much every game in that first half of the season but they've turned things around and believe it or not Illinois is not dead in the west uh, but I can't talk about this game without talking about the flip side um, in, in acknowledging Minnesota and how I mean it was just a gut-wrenching loss for them and it seems like I mean they're certainly not out of the west but uh, man, I mean, I said it before about P.J. Fleck in Minnesota. If they can't get this done when the West is this bad and this wide open, when are they ever going to be a, a true Big Ten title contender? Um, 
and I think this loss really falls on the coaches. Defensively, I'm not sure what they were doing on those final three plays. They looked lost. And, you know, part of me thinks, or maybe it looks like they were kind of, um, you know, pressing up a little bit and seeing that they had a backup quarterback in and were looking for an interception. Um, but they, you know, like I said, they ended up letting Isaiah Williams get that, get behind them with under a minute left when they needed a touchdown, which is absolutely inexcusable. And that was coming off, uh, that was two plays after they called the timeout. So they should, there's no excuse where they, you know, maybe had a missed assignment. They should have known what was going on. Um, offensively, Ethan Kalik Manis, to his credit, he had probably his best game of the entire season. Um, but they are still failing to get the ball in the hands of their playmakers. And I know that they have talent on the outside. And there just doesn't seem to be an effort to get them the ball in space. Namely, Brevin Spanford, who has been easily the biggest disappointment of the 2023 season. Um, and it's not really on him. He remains, I think, one of the most exciting tight end prospects in the country um, as far as the NFL goes. And he was expected to have a really big year. And he had a big opening game against Nebraska. But since that game, he has not topped two catches in a single game until this past Saturday against Illinois. He had three catches in the first quarter and change. And then, I'm not positive this is true, it felt like he wasn't targeted again after about the 10-minute mark in the second quarter. Um, so, I mean, which is just inexcusable. He is a ma- he, He's the type of tight end where you can just find him one-on-one and just throw it up, let him make a play on the ball. He's 6'8", for God's sake. Um, and so, I mean, this for offense is just so frustrating to watch because unlike some of the other teams in the Big Ten West, I know there is good talent there. Maybe not so much in the backfield, the way, you know, Sean Tyler, that transfer, he hasn't really panned out and they've been decimated by injuries. But on the outside, at tight end and at receiver, I know Minnesota has talent there and they just aren't getting them the ball. And I know Minnesota fans, for the most part, still love P.J. Fleck. He's kept them relevant over the past few years, but he is just making it harder and harder to defend him as the years go by. Like I said before, the Big Ten West is as bad as it's ever been this year, and it looks like Minnesota is once again going to fail to win that division. So, I mean, props to Illinois for for not giving up in that game, coming up with a huge victory. Looks like they still have a really good chance to get to a bowl game. Minnesota, they're going to be going bowling. It's not a total loss of a season, but I mean, man, it it really seemed like they were finally about to get over that hurdle in the Big Ten West, play for a Big Ten championship, and it really seems like, I don't know if that's ever going to happen in our lifetime. Now, I know that's a crazy statement, but that's just one of the games, one of those games as a Minnesota fan, you, you can't help but just you know, rest your rest your head in your hands and wonder what is going on. So, uh, great win for Illinois. Horrible, devastating loss for Minnesota. Next up, I will issue my apology to Indiana. I said before the season started that I didn't think Tom Allen would make it to the end of the year, and that seemed to be the case a couple weeks ago. They were sitting at two and five. They barely squeaked by Akron at home, and then they got the brakes beaten off of them in successive weeks by Maryland and Michigan and Rutgers. Um, but credit to them, they played their best game of the season by far against Penn State last week. Defense played with that swagger I saw in their first few games. Brendan Sorsby um, helped open up the offense a little bit more, and they were tied with Penn State late in that fourth quarter. They ended up losing, and I thought being that close to such a monumental upset uh, might make it a little difficult for them to kind of get up to play a Wisconsin team who's looking to turn their own season around and potentially win the West. Uh, but nope. 
credit to Tom Allen and his team. They came ready to play. They beat Wisconsin 20-14 to at home. Uh, came out really strong offensively in the first half. They had 240 to- total yards in that first half, led Wisconsin 17-7. to Then Wisconsin, for the most part, really shut them down in that second half. Um, but Indiana's defense did not stop playing. On Wisconsin's final five drives of the game, they mustered just 107 total yards on less than four yards per play. They had three and out, fumbled twice, and turned it over on downs, so really just got nothing going. Um, and over the past two weeks, Brendan Soresby has been a revelation for Indiana. I really liked him in the spring game. I thought he kind of, he was my favorite to win the job, despite the fact that Taven Jackson was that four-star recruit who transferred over from Tennessee. Um, but Brendan Soresby, you know, finally kind of gets his full opportunity as uh, the Hoosiers starting quarterback. And over the past two weeks, he's played really, really well. He's gone 32 for 50 for 455 yards, five total touchdowns, and just one turnover. Um, and like I said, it's really allowed Indiana to open up that offense a little bit more and make it more than just the Jalen Lucas show. Um, the defense has given up 181 rush yards on just 2.9 yards per carry over the past two weeks as well. And coming down the stretch, Indiana has games against Illinois, Michigan State, and Purdue to finish the season. Um, now, they do have to win out to reach a bowl game, but if Soresby continues to play like this and continues to take care of the football, if they can get Jalen Lucas the ball in space a little bit more, um, the de- defense continues to shut down the run like they have. I think winning out is a legitimate possibility um, and getting to that bowl game, which would be a massive, massive victory for for Tom Allen and keeping his job and trying to, I mean, I, I, I would say rebuild Indiana, but I don't think you can rebuild a program that's really, really never been around, um, to, to, so to speak. Um, I think Indiana winning out certainly isn't likely, but the fact that it's even in the realm of possibility is a testament to Tom Allen and his ability to keep this team motivated despite a tough couple seasons and a really bad start to the year. Because I don't think people understand just how difficult it is to build a program in Indiana. I mean, especially at Indiana University where, you know, they are the clear second tier program in their own state to to Purdue. Um, and they're in a state that does not produce a ton of great football talent, and the few great prospects that they do tend to go to Ohio State. So it's just a really, really tough school to build a program in. Um, maybe he does deserve more patience than I've been giving him, um, but you know, credit to him. Indiana has not given up on this season, and their bowl hopes are still alive. And then on Wisconsin side, I mean, things are looking bleak as we wrap up Luke Fickle's first year. Certainly, I mean, nowhere near the hot seat. He certainly deserves a couple years to kind of get structure this team as he likes get his players um you know get his types of players on this roster and injuries have certainly piled up for them as well um but injuries impact a lot of teams you know they definitely miss Braylon Allen on Saturday but I think their struggles along the offensive line and in the secondary have been an issue since game one this isn't something new um and I think those are the two areas the offensive line and the secondary those are the two areas that I expected to see immediate improvement under Luke Fickle and his staff given what he was able to do at Cincinnati and that just hasn't been the case whatsoever so I mean he's gonna head into year two with some uncertainty I think a lot of Wisconsin fans were expecting a Big Ten championship appearance you know minimum eight wins this season and that's looking less and less likely as the weeks go by so he can certainly salvage this season make a respectable uh year out of this but it's safe to say year one under Luke Fickle is shaping up to be a bit of a disappointment. He deserves a couple years to get things right and um, certainly not sitting here calling for Luke Fickle's job or anything like that, but it's uh, safe to say year one under Luke Fickle is looking like a disappointment. 
Speaking of Wisconsin, now is as good a time as ever to do another pulse check on the Big Ten West because, like I mentioned, I think this was this division is so muddied and one of the hardest divisions in all of college football to really, uh, I guess, figure out and determine kind of what are the different pathways that other teams can get to the to the Big Ten championship. So Iowa, it appears, does have a stranglehold on the division right now. Firm lead in first, they're four and two in the conference, and they have games remaining against Rutgers, Illinois, and Nebraska. So Illinois and Nebraska. Nebraska can still grab that head-to-head from them, which means they'll have they only have to finish with the same Big Ten record as Iowa. So um, that's going to come into play. But I'll touch on them in a bit. First off, I do kind of think Wisconsin's out of the race. They would need Iowa to drop two of their final three games and win out themselves. Uh, I just don't see Iowa collapsing to that degree. And I think the way Wisconsin's playing right now, you know, the injuries that have piled up, no Braylon Allen probably for the rest of the season. And they're going to have to depend on Braden Locke, who has been serviceable, but, you know, he's a second year quarterback, first time starter, certainly not the type of quarterback that's really going to elevate this offense um, to overcome just the mess that is their run game at this point because that is their mo it always has been from the beginning of the season and you know it's just it's hard to see wisconsin be able to pull up put up points uh, and win out and it's just, it's a hard thing to predict so i don't see that scenario happening i do think wisconsin's out of the race northwestern i also think is out they would need iowa to lose out and win out themselves like i said don't see that happening and purdue has obviously been out of the conversation for a while now so that leaves Minnesota, Illinois, and Nebraska as the three teams that are in the best position to challenge Iowa in the West. But Minnesota is also in a tough position um, because they still have a game against Ohio State in Columbus coming up. And you got to figure they're going to lose that game. Don't think that's a bold take. Um, and so even though they do have that head-to-head over Iowa, assuming Minnesota loses to Ohio State and then wins their other two games against Purdue and Wisconsin. I think, you know, based off what we've seen uh, pretty much the entire season from Minnesota, that's certainly not a given that they can beat Purdue and Wisconsin. Um, But assuming they do, they would still need Iowa to lose two of their final three games, Um, which again, it's, it's asking a lot. So Minnesota is not out of the race, but it's looking bleaker and bleaker. So I think that leaves Illinois and Nebraska as the two teams with the best chances of knocking Iowa out of first. And Illinois is in a really interesting position because like I mentioned before, their final three games are against Indiana, Iowa, and Northwestern. And they need to win out and hope that Iowa loses to either Rutgers or Nebraska. And both are very possible. I know I said before, I don't really see Iowa losing losing two of their final three games. And that's mainly because I don't see them losing to Illinois. But, you know, Illinois is in control of their own destiny. And that's all you can ask for as you enter November and are trying to pick up um these these wins so i mean if they can knock off iowa they are right in the thick of the race um you know we we can preview that next week and kind of determine how likely that is but as far as controlling their own destiny they are right in the thick of the race and i think there's a really good chance that Rutgers can knock off iowa this weekend i'll preview that game a little bit later in this episode but if Rutgers can pull off that win in kinnick stadium it's going to throw a huge wrench into the big 10 rest race and open up paths for a lot of teams to get into that big 10 title game so illinois very much alive they will have to beat Iowa, but you know, crazier things have happened. Iowa definitely isn't a juggernaut this year by any means. Um, but the team, other than Iowa, with the best chance to win the West, believe it or not, is still Nebraska. They sit at three and three in the conference. Um, and if all they have to do is win out and they win the division because they have that uh season ending game against Iowa, and then that would assume they get that head to head matchup. Um, 
they need to beat Maryland at home and then Wisconsin on the road in order to get to that position. And both are, you know, they're they're home underdogs against Maryland, which is pretty surprising the way Maryland season is kind of unraveled in front of our eyes after starting five and zero. Um, but everything's in front of them. I mean, all you can ask as you enter the final stretch of the regular season is to control your own destiny in order to reach your goals. And that's what is in front of Nebraska. And I think that Nebraska Iowa game, um, it's, I mean, I say it could be could be a thriller, and by thriller I mean a twelve to ten game. But if you like defense, that'll be a great <laughs> a great game to watch. Um, so how do I see things shaking out? Uh, first off, I do not think Iowa is going to win out. I'll start there. Um, they have squeaked by so many teams over the past few weeks. I just don't think that good fortune will stay with them all season long. At some point, um, they're going to have to make a big play offensively. I, I think maybe the they will get a bounce of the football that's not in their favor. Um, and it's just I, I the way they're playing right now. It's just hard for me to see them really w- winning out and fit. I just it's mainly me not believing that they're going to finish ten and two. I think that's what it really boils down to. You watch Illinois, I mean Iowa play. It does not look like a ten and two top fifteen team. So I don't think they're going to win out. Um, but I, like I said before, I do think Illinois mustering anything against that Iowa defense is a little too optimistic, um, especially considering that Illinois defense is not playing anywhere close to the level of Rutgers or Nebraska, who are Iowa's other two games so i think iowa drops a game to either Rutgers or nebraska and ends up making this big 10 west race a lot more interesting than it appears to be right now um and i but i really have that iowa versus Rutgers game circled on my calendar for this weekend uh because i think if iowa does beat Rutgers, it, it eliminates essentially every team from big 10 west contention except for nebraska who like i said just has to they control their own destiny and would have to beat iowa at the end of the season but if Rutgers beats Iowa, we could have some very interesting scenarios heading into the final week of the season. Um, and it's probably going to come down to that Minnesota-Wisconsin game and Iowa-Nebraska game at the end of the season to determine the winner. Um, and it wouldn't be so cut and dry, you know, Iowa versus Nebraska winner goes to the Big Ten Championship. Because remember, Nebraska lost their head-to-head matchup against Minnesota. Um, which is just, it's got to be so painful for Nebraska fans thinking back to that game, how close they were to winning. Um, and if they did, man, they would be in such a better position to win this division, which is just wild considering, you know, their offense has been as ugly as any in college football. Um, but that def- the defensive turnaround that Matt Rule has done and Tony White has done, um, on that side of the ball has been second to none in college football. It's been really remarkable. Um, but that head to head is really going to come into play down the stretch. Again, assuming Iowa, um, drops a get drops a game against likely with uh, Rutgers this weekend. So, um, a lot of things going on. It's really hard to keep track of. Iowa, yes, does have a, a firm hold on first right now, but they got tough matchups coming down the pipe. And like I said, pretty much, I think the only teams that are definitely out are Northwestern and Purdue, Wisconsin. I think it's kind of on that edge, um, along with Minnesota, but Illinois and Nebraska, look out for them because they could certainly win this division. Um, if you like chaos, definitely root for Rutgers this weekend. It's going to make the race so much more interesting. There is a lot that can still happen, but I do have a hard time believing any of these teams can win out like Nebraska winning out love Matt rule to death. Love what he's doing with the program. I think their future is very, very bright, but that just seems, I don't know. That seems a little bit too outside the realm of possibility for me. So, um, I think all these other te- I think all the teams in the division still have another loss coming. So with that in mind, I still am picking Iowa to come out of this division, um, finishing nine and three, which is, you know, will still end up probably being ranked, um, heading into that Big Ten championship game, believe it or not, which is, um, crazy. I couldn't believe that the, the committee ranked him last night. And I'm a, you know, Big Ten homer. 
I will, you know, ride or die with the Big Ten. I want as many Big Ten teams ranked as possible. I love seeing that, but I, I don't think that Iowa's playing like a top 25 team right now. Um, so as it stands right now, a lot of teams still alive. Iowa's hanging on to first and I'm, there's, I'm still picking them to, to come out of the West division. Before I get into previewing Week 11's slate of action and giving you my five Big Ten betting locks, I have what is, I think, a pretty interesting segment here, and it's really just what's wrong with the Big Ten um, and why the Big Ten hasn't stepped up and become, you know, one of the, I mean, the perennial best conference in the country like I thought it was really capable of. Um, and I'm also going to touch on why we need to be, as Big Ten fans, need to be so thankful that Oregon, USC, and UCLA and Washington are coming to this conference and why I think it's going to fix a lot of the issues we have in the Big Ten. Because um, I don't think I was alone coming into this season thinking that this was uh, going to be a big season for the Big Ten. I thought this was going to be the year where the Big Ten kind of establishes themselves as the dominant conference in the country. Because um, obviously you have Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan, who are three of the best teams in the entire country. Um, Greg Schiano at Rutgers starting, t- starting his second rebuild at Rutgers seemed to have some positive momentum coming into the season. Mike Loxley, I loved what he was doing at Maryland coming into this year. He even mentioned Big Ten championships um, this summer. Thought his team was ready to compete for one. Um, the arrival of Cade McNamara to Iowa and their kind of offensive urgency or the urgency to turn that offense around. Thought that would turn Iowa into kind of a, a real player in the in the Big Ten and maybe even the playoff this year. And then obviously the big hires, Matt Rule and Nebraska, Luke Fickle at uh, Wisconsin, Ryan Walters at Purdue. Loved all of those hires. And Brett Bielema, kind of, he had a big season at um, Illinois in his second season. Thought he was starting to build off of last year's momentum and turn Illinois into somewhat of a power. And then even Mel Tucker at Michigan State thought he was going to be able to get Michigan State back to a bowl game. Um, and he's been really, he was utilizing the transfer portal. Thought that was going to help get Michigan State back on track. Um, but fast forward to now, you know, we're getting towards the end of the regular season. Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan obviously are as good as advertised. And Greg Schiano looks to have Rutgers ahead of schedule. And it's one of the best stores in the entire country, I think. Um, but outside of that, it's been a lot of disappointment. Um, Michigan State's situation is obviously a debacle since the Mel Tucker firing. Iowa's offense is somehow worse than last year. Um, and really the whole Big Ten West is just playing bad football. Still think the outlook for, you know, Matt Rule, Luke Fickle, Ryan Walters is still mainly positive. They can still have really successful tenures at those schools, but the Big Ten West is just somehow worse than it was last year. And it was the worst division in the Power Five, um, by far last year. So, What's going on with the Big Ten? Why do they seem to continue to be disappointing? And even though they're not as bad as they were, you know, around 2008 to 2000, or yeah, 2008 to 2012, where they were really the laughing stock of college football, um, they've definitely made a lot of progress since then, but it still just seems like they are just a few steps away from kind of contending for that best conference in the country title. And so, I think part of the problem might be that essentially every single coach in the Big Ten has a defensive background, um, with the exception of only four. That's Ryan Day, Jim Harbaugh, James Franklin, and Mike Loxley. Doesn't take a detective to realize the success that Ryan Day, Jim Harbaugh, and James Franklin have had in the Big Ten as one of the three only offensive-oriented head coaches. And then there's Mike Loxley. Uh, he kind of seems like an outlier, and he's obviously having some issues this season on the verge of not even making a bowl game after starting off 5-0 and talking about Big Ten championships in the preseason. Um, but even 
with how this year has gone in the past few weeks, he has Maryland in a better position as a program than they have been since they joined the Big Ten. In fact, if they can pick up just one win in their final three games and get to six wins and get to a bowl game, it'll be the first time that Maryland makes it to a bowl game in three consecutive seasons since 2006 to 2008. So yes, the past few weeks have been a major disappointment for Mike Loxley, but still, uh, by and large, Mike Loxley has Maryland in a better position than they have been in in the past 15 plus years. Um, so I think there is something to do with a correlation there. Like the offensive oriented head coaches in the Big Ten are having some of the most success. Um, that's not to say that building a team around defense is a bad idea, especially in the Big Ten. Um, you know, despite having a down year, I bet the Big Ten pulls out a winning record come bowl season because a lot of the teams that they play will not be used to, will not be used to having to play a defense like we have in the Big Ten. We have the best defenses in the country. And I think, you know, that tends to result in pretty positive bowl seasons. Um, you know, we have fundamentally sound defenses that are, have the ability to give offenses different looks, really strong defensive fronts. Um, but a conference's strength isn't determined by how many okay teams you have, how many teams you can that can hit six or seven wins and then pick up a victory in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. That's not going to make people think, wow, yeah, the Big Ten was really good this year. Um, it's determined by the number of contenders you have, the number of people that have a chance at the playoff, the number of top 25 caliber teams you have, the number of teams who can swear off against the nation's best and give them everything that they can handle. And the Big Ten has Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and that is it. And that's why the Big Ten's perception, rightfully so, is not the best right now. Um, but to be fair, you know, teams like Purdue, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Illinois, you can go down the list. They aren't hiring coaches with playoff berths in mind. Even though where those teams stand in the Big Ten is very similar to where, you know, Texas A&M stands in the SEC or Ole Miss stands in the SEC or, um, you know, like a TCU stands in the Big 12. Um, those are all kind of are sitting around the same points in their conference. But when those teams, um, not in the Big 10, when they go out hiring coaches, a lot of them are looking, okay, how do we, be, how can we become a top 10 team? How can we get to a playoff? How can we become conference, um, contenders? Um, and that brings me to my second issue with the Big 10, which is the talent disparity. Because listen, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey are all top 10 states as far as football talent goes. But outside of that, the Big Ten region doesn't have um, other states that is as rich in high school talent um, as those as those states. And then you look at teams like I mentioned, Ole Miss and Texas A&M and TCU, um, you know, even, you know, as I say Ole Miss maybe, but they're sitting in states where there is a lot of talent. You know, you go to states like Mississippi, Texas, Alabama, Georgia, Florida. Um, there is a lot of talent in all of those states and enough talent to, to feed several programs. Um, in the Big Ten, the current region that they have, they just don't have that. You know, Michigan does produce some good talent, but the best players in Michigan almost entire exclusively go to Michigan, Michigan State, or Ohio State. I mentioned it before, Indiana produces a few good prospects a year, but Ohio State usually scoops those all up. Same with the Chicago area. And then, you know, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Nebraska, they feast on their in-state talent. Um, but that's because there aren't really any other schools in the country that are trying to pry recruits away from the states of Wisconsin, Iowa, and Nebraska. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's not a problem that the Big Ten can really solve by themselves right now. It's just a fact of the matter that they have the Big Ten region as it stands has three good states as far as high school talent goes and a bunch of 
I mean, essentially nothing. Um, and then the third thing that's wrong with the Big Ten right now is just the national perception, because it seems like we are having a much worse year than they actually are. I mean, the Big Ten is definitely having a down year. They are definitely underperforming based off of where I expected them to be. Um, but I think how team, how people or the average college football fan perceives the Big Ten is even worse, is much worse than it actually is. Um, and that's because Big Ten games are traditionally not high scoring because they we are built on defense, always have been, and we still to this day have a conference made up of almost entirely defensive-minded head coaches. Um, and it seems like this year is even more low scoring than usual. Um, and that's the problem because the public sees a 17 to 13 type score and assumes it was a bad football game. A poor quality of football was played in that game. Um, and they assume that because the offenses couldn't score, these teams must not be any good. Just look no further than the Ohio State Penn State game. That game was 20 to 12. And apart from a few missed throws that Aller had in that second half when he was rattled by that ferocious front, I mean, that was a quality football game. That was two good teams going at it. Those were, um, the defenses were really just that good. But coming out of that game, the national narrative was how bad Penn State's offense was, not how good Ohio State's defense was. And that's because of the way the game played out. Um, you know, points draw viewers. And I think points make the casual viewer think that the, the football they're watching is high quality football. You know, they see a 70 yard touchdown and, you know, they're not thinking, wow, that cornerback just got embarrassed or what horrible tackling or look who, how many people miss an assignment on that play. The average football fan doesn't see that. Um, they see a 70 yard touchdown and be like, wow, that was an amazing play. What a great offense. What a great team. What a great quarterback. Um, and obviously there aren't plays like that in the Big Ten because we are so fundamentally sound on the big, on the defensive side of the ball. At least that's half the reason. Part of it also has to do with we don't have great quarterbacks. Um, but, you know, if they see a quarterback get sacked, the casual college football fan, or they see an interception, it's much easier for them to say um, something bad about the quarterback or say, you know, that quarterback is bad than it is to point to the point out what the defense did that caused that play to happen. So I think being such a low scoring conference, being such a defensive oriented conference um, makes the casual football fans just think Big Ten games are just bad football. Um, but the truth is, a lot of it is the result of truly elite defense, and it's the type of defense that you just don't see in other conferences. I mean, that Oregon-Washington game um, last month, I mean, it was a great football game. Two NFL NFL quarterbacks, or NFL first-round quarterbacks. Um, a lot of points. It was a really entertaining game, but... At the same time, I talked about it in my my podcast following that episode. There was a lot of really bad tackling. There were some really bad missed assignments in that game. I mean, either of those teams go up against um, a Big Ten defense. They're not putting up 45-plus points. They just aren't. Um, but, you know, not, it doesn't matter because the public narrative and public opinion drives the narrative in, in college football. And the public sees a 20-17 to 17 type score and automatically thinks bad football. And this is why Big Ten fans should be elated, just rejuvenated with the arrival of USC, Washington, UCLA, and Oregon to the Big Ten. Because it's an influx of offensive-oriented teams that can put up points that may, will make Big Ten games more watchable for the casual fan. And like I said, they won't be having 52-42 to 42 type games in the Big Ten um, like we saw with USC-Washington this past week um, because our the Big Ten defenses are simply superior to what they're facing in the Pac-12, and that's a fact. But at the same time, um, these offenses are not going to be held to seven points 
in many games, if any. Um, and I think their arrival is going to force a lot of teams in the Big Ten to open up their offenses and maybe move away, not entirely from you know the defensive-oriented mindset, but put a higher prioritization on the offensive side of the football. Because I think Iowa, they face off against Washington or Oregon right now. Um, they can certainly hold them well below their season averages on that on that side of the ball. Um, you know, Iowa is not giving up 40 points to either of those teams. Iowa is a really elite defense. But at the same time, Iowa will need to score 24 plus points in order to win those types of games. And the way they're structured right now, they just aren't. I mean, if Iowa plays Oregon right now, they're probably losing like 27 to 6. Um, and they, it, when they come, teams like Iowa, teams like Illinois and Nebraska, they are really going to have to open up their offense if they want to contend with, you know, USC and UCLA, Washington, Oregon. So I think the arrival of those four Pac-12 teams will force a switch with some of these teams to prioritize the offensive side of the ball a little bit more, which is what the Big Ten desperately needs. Um, we desperately need some more exciting games, more high-scoring games, not because that's better quality football, because that's what the public wants. And if the Big Ten wants to be seen as the best conference in the country, we have to win over the, the public opinion of the casual football fan, and that's how you do it. Um, but the arrival of those four teams is also going to help with the second issue I said, and that's talent. Because all of a sudden, Big Ten country will include California, which is one of the three richest states states in the country as far as talent goes. Um, even Washington is a very underrated state as far as high school talent goes. I mean, they're, if you're ranking the states 1 through 10 as far as high school talent, they're probably sitting around right around 10. Um, Washington does, has produced some some good talent over the years. Um, Oregon, not so much, but I mean, California by itself can feed a lot of these Big Ten teams. And having Big Ten country cover from New Jersey all the way over to California is going to help a lot of teams bring in more talent from outside of their states. Um, and there's no question that the Big Ten is not a, a great conference right now. Um, some of the problem is how the conference is, is incorrectly perceived. Um, but some of the problems are valid and they need to be fixed. And so I know this is kind of off topic, given that we're in the, the middle of the college football season. I'm kind of looking forward to next year and beyond. Um, but it's just been frustrating because I expected so much more out of the Big Ten this season, really thought we had an opportunity to be the best conference in the country, and we aren't, and it's abundantly clear why, but luckily the arrival of our four new members next season will do, I think, do an incredible job of turning the Big Ten's, Big Ten's perception around um, and turning the Big Ten into a national power, and I think ultimately we will become the undisputed best conference in the country uh, because of the addition of these four teams. So, if you're a Big Ten fan, I know it's been a tough season. You've had to sit through a lot of ugly football, a lot of games where the point total doesn't even reach 20 points. Um, but I just count your blessings that we we got these four teams because it's gonna do it's gonna do so much in in fixing our perception. So can't wait for next season, even though we do have a long way to go in this season. Can't wait to see how it shakes out. Appreciate you hanging in there for my little rant, but now we'll pivot back to the current college football season we are on and gear up for week 11 across the Big Ten. We're going to start off by previewing the Michigan-Penn State game, one of the biggest matchups of the entire weekend. Finally, we get to learn just how Michigan, I mean, good Michigan is. Uh, because Michigan has been beating Big Ten opponents so far this season by 38 points a game. 
Most recently, 41 to 13 over Purdue at home. But the best team they've played to this point has still been Rutgers at home. And that was back when they still had um, their, their Stein stealing operation going on. So who knows how that impacted that game. Uh, but they get to travel to Happy Valley for the big noon kickoff. Penn State, meanwhile, is coming off a 51 to 15 beatdown of Maryland on the road. They held Maryland to minus 49 yards rushing on the day with the help of six sacks and 12 t- t- uh, tackle for losses. They forced two turnovers, held Maryland to 4-12 on third down, and outgained them by 170 yards. So it was a thorough domination on the road. Offense finally seemed to open up, and it kind of has given Penn State fans hope that Drew, Drew Aller has finally been unlocked. And we are going to see a different version of him this weekend than we did in Columbus. Um, and I think the the environment should definitely help because he walked into a really hostile environment at Ohio Stadium and he gets the uh, rowdy Penn State fans at home now which is going to make life a little bit more difficult for Michigan so I think the outlook for this game is actually very similar to when I broke down the Ohio State Penn State game and we'll start off for with when Penn State has the football so I mean let's start off with just the fact that the best offense Michigan has faced this year is UNLV. So that explains why at face value, it appears that this Michigan defense has absolutely zero weaknesses. And that very well may be true. I mean, they are very deep along the defensive front. They have one of the best linebacker cores in the entire country with Junior Colson, Michael Barrett, and Daniel Hausman. Um, they are three of the surest tackle tacklers in the country. I read an article earlier this week. I think the three of them have accounted for a combined one missed tackle so far this season. Um, and they also eat a ton of blocks up front. They eat up a lot of those blocks from the offensive line, which really allows that interior defensive line to eat um, when it comes to defending the run. And then their secondary, led by Mike Sainristil and, and Will Johnson, uh, they've been absolutely blanketing receivers and forcing interceptions at a really alarming rate, uh, close to two a game. But again, against two. <laughs> I mean, they... Like I said, their, their their biggest challenge as a team was against Rutgers, and Gavin Wimsett has completed more than half of his passes in just three of nine games. So again, they really haven't been tested, and a lot of the starters have hardly played in the fourth quarter this season. And that concerns me a little bit, because this is likely going to be a four-quarter game. I mean, if Michigan comes out, comes in and blows them out of the water and the game is over before the fourth quarter... Um, I think we might we might have to wrap up the season a little bit early because I think that does mean Michigan is just that good. But I don't see that happening. I think this is going to be a four-quarter game. And the fact that a lot of the, really offensively and defensively for Michigan, they haven't played much in the fourth quarter at all. It's a testament to how dominant they've been, but it might come back to bite them. Now, I mean, are they going to get worn down as the game goes on? Uh, so, But for Penn State, to have any success against this defense, they're going to have to win third down. That was one of my biggest keys for them when they played Ohio State, and they ended up going 1-16, of and it was the biggest reason why they lost. Um, and how long these third downs are will have a lot to do with you know whether or not Penn State can have more success on third down. Um, and how long these third downs are is going to depend on how well Penn State can push the ball downfield. And it was something they were not able to do against Ohio State whatsoever. And whether it's Keandre Lambert-Smith or Dante Cephas or one of their two tight ends, someone on Penn State is going to have to step up and win one-on-one matchups and make the Wolverines respect the intermediate to deep ball. Because if Michigan can just kind of keep single-man single, single man coverage across the board um, on Penn State's receivers or sit back with a single high safety and not have to worry about getting burned over the top at all, 
it's going to be a really long day for Penn State's offense because that's just going to allow those linebackers to feast. Because then Penn, Penn State's dink and dunk plays will be just that. It's going to be a short catch with nothing after uh, after the catch because they're not going to have to worry about getting burned on the deep ball. Everyone can play up and rally to the football. So, you know, a three-yard catch is going to be just that, a three-yard catch. It's not going to be a three-yard catch plus a three-yard run, a nice six-yard gain on first down. Uh, it's that's that's not going to happen. So that's why it's absolutely imperative that Penn State is able to push the ball downfield at least a little bit. Listen, Drew Aller doesn't have to be slinging 30, 40 yard dots downfield, but he has to be able to push the ball more than 10 yards down uh, past the line of scrimmage with consistent success. So, Because like I said, if Michigan doesn't have to respect the deep ball whatsoever, Penn State is once again going to find themselves in a lot of third and obvious passing down situations like they did against Ohio State. Then Michigan's going to be able to pin their ears back on that defensive line and get after Drew Aller, who is not the most mobile guy um, in, in the country. And it's, that, that just won't work out for them. So not only does Drew Aller need to play 50 times better than he did against Ohio State, these receivers need to step up, and they really have not yet to this point in the season. Uh, I mean, Cephas and Keandre Labert-Smith uh, had nice games against Maryland last week, and like I said, it kind of gives Penn State fans some hope that this offense is starting to be unlocked a little bit more. They'll open it up, but there is a, a big difference between putting up some good numbers against Maryland uh, compared to against Michigan. So... I mean, that's not to say that the ground game doesn't matter at all for Penn State, but I don't think we are going to head into this game expecting them to rip off huge runs. And they just need to, I think, make sure that they are picking up consistent positive yardage when they run. You know, make sure that they are gaining two, three yards at least when they... um when they run the ball, stay ahead of the chains and be able to pick up a tough one yard in a, in a short yardage situa- situation. That's the ask. You know, you don't have to, you, you know, Catron Allen, you don't have to be bouncing it around the outside. You don't have to be searching for a huge chunk play. Just get what the defense gives you, stay ahead of the chains. And when you're in short yardage situations, get that yard. That's what you need to have the run game. That's all you need because, I mean, the rest is really going to fall on Drew Aller in this game. So when Penn State has the ball, it's all going to come down to third down. And whether or not Penn State can convert those third downs will come down to their ability to make Michigan respect the intermediate to, be, to deep passing game. Um, that's going to determine how long those third downs are and whether or not Penn State is really able to convert them at a more successful rate than they were against Ohio State. So flipping to now to when Michigan has the ball, I think similarly it's going to fall on J.J. McCarthy's shoulders because, listen, this Michigan offensive line is good, but there's a reason why they're really not in the Joe Moore conversation this year, and that's because they are simply not as good as they were that have been over the past two years. And the strength of this Penn State defense is the front. They are top two nationally in rush yards allowed and opponent yards per carry. Donovan Edwards has not been close to his 2022 self. Blake Corum has been really steady. He's been getting into the end zone a lot, but he has not been making those big splash plays that we've seen out of him the past couple seasons. So I don't think Michigan is going to be able to consistently line up against Penn State, run the ball three times, and get a guaranteed first down in those three runs. Uh, it's it's just not going to work out like that. J.J. McCarthy is going to have to win this game for, for Michigan. Uh, for Michigan, most likely. And he's going to have to make good decisions, come up with a few big plays in the passing game. And honestly, I think he's going to have to utilize his legs a lot. He hasn't um, had to a ton this year, uh, again, mainly because of the competition he's playing. But Penn State is as good as any team in the country in generating pressure. And they don't even have to blitz to do so. In fact, they have the most sacks out of anyone in college football um, at this point in the season. 
You know, Talia, he's a slippery guy, and they got him down six times on Saturday. Uh, if J.J. McCarthy can escape the pocket, extend plays, make good throws on the move, and run for chunk yardage while taking care of the football, well, that's the most important part because that has been a weakness of his in the past. Uh, I think Michigan will be just fine. You know, if he can if he can get out of the pocket, uh, keep his head up, and not do anything stupid, and run the ball when the lane is there, you know, I think Michigan, it, like I said, they'll be just fine, and I think they'll be able to pull out a win. I don't, I don't want to say easily, but, you know, with relative ease. You know, I think it'll be maybe a very similar script to Ohio State, where it felt like Ohio State was in control of the game, um, and... You know, and you just, you know, points are going to be at a premium this game. You're not, can't expect Michigan to put up 30 points in this game. Um, but if Penn State does get home, if they rattle JJ McCarthy a little bit, if they keep him in that pocket, or when JJ McCarthy does get out of the pocket, he kind of rears that ugly head of making some silly mistakes like we've seen in years past. It could be a really long day for this Michigan offense. Um, and this is a Michigan offense that has not seen anything close to a test like they will see against, uh, Penn State. Because at least when Ohio State went up against this defense, they played Notre Dame um, in a really hostile environment. They were used to getting tested. This Michigan defense has been pretty easy for them all year long. So it's going to be interesting to see how they react when things don't come so so easily. And I think it's also worth noting that these are two of the best defenses in the country in forcing turnovers. And neither of these offenses have played a defense that forces turnovers like these two off two defenses do. Uh, you know, Penn State had uh, almost had a game-changing defensive touchdown against Ohio State that would have changed the script of that game. They may have come out of the, come out of, with a win if they ended, if that play ended up standing. And so, I think this game could very well come down to whichever defenses defense forces the most turnovers, um, or if one of these defenses can get a defensive touchdown, or at least set up their offense in plus territory and make it at least a little bit easier for them to get into the t- get into the end zone. Uh, so. It's going to come down to the quarterbacks, really, and I think that turnover margin. So my prediction, I think this game will play out very similarly to how the Ohio State-Penn State game did. Slow start for both offenses, with the exception of maybe a well-scripted first drive. It's going to be, for the most part, a low-scoring battle where both defenses dominate, and it's going to be quality defense. It's not going to be because of bad offense. No matter what the national narrative wants to say after this game, both these defenses are great, and I think both these defenses are going to be the reason why uh, it's going to be a low-scoring affair. So when I look at my keys to the game, though, I mean, we've seen J.J. McCarthy make good decisions this year. We've seen him extend plays with his legs and be a true dual threat. Not so much this year, but in years past. And Drew Aller, outside of a handful of plays the past two weeks, has not proven that he can really push the ball more than 10 yards past the line of scrimmage consistently. And that's why I'm leaning towards Michigan, because... You know, we've seen Michigan do what they need to do to, in order to win the game. Penn State, not so much. But ultimately, I think whoever wins the turnover battle wins this game. And so there is, I think, a path to victory for Penn State if Drew Aller doesn't have a, a really fantastic day throwing the ball. If he doesn't play 50 times better than he did against Ohio State, there is still a path to victory. Because, first of all, he's done an outstanding job of taking care of the football. While we've seen J.J. McCarthy be a little reckless at times in his career, and he had that game, obviously, earlier this season where he had three interceptions. So, like I said, there's a path for victory for Penn State, even if Aller doesn't push the ball downfield successfully. Um, this Penn State defense can get the win for them by themselves. I mean, they can, if they, um, rattle this Michigan offense and, 
you know, this Michigan offense all of a sudden looks a lot different than what we've seen over the past few years and they can't handle the heat. Um, there's a really good chance that Penn State can come out with the win. But at the end of the day, I have to base my prediction off of what we've seen this year. And J.J. McCarthy, with the exception of that one game earlier in the season, he has been very careful with the football, just like Drew Aller has. And I think he can help Michigan avoid those turnovers. Drew Aller is still unproven, so I'm taking Michigan to win. Um, probably a very sim- very similar score to that 20-12 to game that we saw earlier this year. So as far as who I'm picking, Michigan is a five and a half point favorite up a point from when it, um, from this weekend, the over under is at 45 and a half. Um, listen, I'm not confident enough in the spread there because like I said, that Penn state defense could come up with a big play, a game changing play that flips this game on its head. So I, even though I think it's unlikely, I do see a scenario where Penn State can come out with the win, especially with that home environment. You know, Michigan, like I said, has not experienced anything like that this year. I mean, they are a veteran team. They know what it's like to go into a hostile environment, but this is a very good Penn State team, a better Penn State team than last year. So it's uh, I'm not confident enough in the spread to make that my official pick for this game. Instead, I'm going to go with the under at 45 and a half, simply because I don't see both teams cracking 20 points in this game, um, barring a barrage of turnovers. And like I said, both quarterbacks have been taking care of the ball. So um, it's not part of my five locks. I'll get to those in a little bit. But my pick for this game is uh, Michigan win, not necessarily going to go with the cover and the under hits at 45 and a half. Before I get into my five betting locks, I also want to touch on the Rutgers-Iowa game because um, it's a game that I'm super excited for, partly because I'm a sicko. I mean, the over-under is at 28.5, for God's sake, and it might even drop farther. Uh, this very well could end up being the lowest over-under in the history of college football. I'm not exaggerating there. Um but I think that illustrates perfectly just how ugly this game will be. And yes, it's partly because Iowa is the worst offense in the country. And partly because, like I said before, Gavin Wimsett has completed more than 50% of his passes in just three of their nine games this year. But it's mainly because both of these defenses are truly great. Two bona fide top 10 defenses in the country. And I'm excited to see them battle it out. Uh, we could very well see as many points from the defense in this game as we do from the offense. Because outside of Kyle Manungai, Rutgers' um, potential, I mean, all-American running back, I'm sure he won't get that honor. But he is a shoo-in to be an all big, a first-team All-Big Ten running back at this pace. Um, but outside of Kyle Manungai, all of the players to watch in this game are on the defensive side of the football. And I think there are a lot of future NFL players there. I mean, for Rutgers, Aaron Lewis on the defensive line and Deion Jennings at linebacker um, making that formidable Rutgers front and they have a seemingly unlimited number of playmakers in the secondary headline by Max Melton. Iowa obviously has Cooper DeGene who is as fun as any defensive player in the country to watch and in my opinion should be a first round draft pick and then Jay Higgins at linebacker who has been as solid as a rock. He's third in the country with 113 tackles and again 113 tackles in nine games. That's just mind-boggling. That's 28 more than anyone else in the Big Ten has. Uh, and these are, just simply put, two great defenses with a lot of unheralded stars who don't get a lot of attention nationally, but will be playing in the NFL, in my opinion. And I think this is one of the few 9-6 to type Big Ten games that'll actually be fun to watch because it won't be um, a low-scoring battle because of just inept offense, but it's going to be because of elite defense. But also, there's a lot of ramifications in this game. I think, and I, I mentioned it before, an Iowa game would a win would all but cement their spot in the Big Ten title game. It 
puts them on a path to finish 10 and 2, possibly top 15 in the country. Um, and not honestly completely out of the question for a New Year's Six bowl game, which would be just a phenomenal season for Kirk Ferentz and this team, considering the narrative around their offense all season long to finish 10 and 2 in the top 15 and potentially a New York Six bowl. I think that, that seemed unfathomable after they lost 31 to nothing against Penn State. But a loss would put them I mean, would put the Big Ten West right up for grabs, leave clear paths for Nebraska, Minnesota, Wisconsin, um, even Illinois. I mean, like I mentioned before, to squeak back into the Big Ten West race, um, is, you know, depending how the final couple weeks shake out. And then for Rutgers, you know, they play Penn State and Maryland afterwards. A win here would put them at seven wins, cement them as the fourth best team in the Big Ten, who, by the way, who saw that coming, coming into this year. Um, but then an opportunity to get eight with eight regular season wins, and that would be more regular season wins that they've had than they've had since they were in the Big East back when that conference still existed in college football. Uh, so uh, a win here could set themselves up to be get a pretty nice bowl berth, like the Citrus Bowl. Um, I think it would be a huge step for a program that's looking to remain a perennial college, uh, bowl team, and maybe even a, a marginal top 25 team um, as the Big Ten expands next year. So I think I mean, getting that eighth win, getting to a big time bowl game, getting that kind of attention could go also a long way in recruiting for Rutgers. Um, you know, if Rutgers can lock up some of that in-state talent in New Jersey, there's no reason why they can't be an eight win team on a yearly basis. But a loss for Rutgers would put them at 6-4. and four. They're already going bowling as is, which is a huge step for this program. And I think any Rutgers fan coming into this season would have like gladly taken a six-win season. But, you know, they lose this game. Then they have to go play Penn State. You know, maybe if they finish 6-6, six and six, it just feels like that would be a letdown considering how this season started at 6-2, and two, finishing with four straight losses. I just feel like that would be a missed opportunity to infuse this program with as much momentum as they've had since the last time Greg Schiano was the head coach at Rutgers. Um, I think a win here would just be a tremendous stride for the Rutgers football program. And a loss, I mean, it's not devastating by any means. They're still going bowling. They're still ahead of schedule. Um which I just think it would be, it could set them up for a disappointing end to the season. Um, you know, defense isn't everyone's cup of tea, but I think this, this game will have two of the best in the entire country playing and has plenty of state at stake for both teams. So I'm really excited for this game. And I think this is a good transition into my five Big Ten betting locks because my first one is the under in this game at 28 and a half. Uh, Iowa is a one, one and a half point favorite at home. I would take Rutgers to win this game in a heartbeat if they had it at home, but I just don't love the fact that they have to travel to Kinnick Stadium. This feels like a field goal game, um, at least one that will come down to the final possession. So I'm probably staying away from the spread because I, I could see it could be the bounce of a football or a couple inches in a short yarded situation that decides this game. Uh, I think that's actually the likeliest scenario. But, you know, the Iowa Northwestern game last week was 10 to 7. Rutgers has a far better defense than Northwestern and a less threatening pass attack um, than the Wildcats do. And if you look at Iowa's past three games, um, you know, with, with Deacon Hill at quarterback, uh, none of those games have topped 22 points. So I don't think there's a reason in my mind where this why this would be any different because Rutgers has a better defense than any of the teams Rutgers has played in the past three games. You know, a defensive or special teams touchdown can always throw a wrench into things. Obviously with Cooper DeGene returning kicks, he can go off at any moment, 
but I think this game finishing in a 9-6 to range seems far more likely than the 17-14 range. Besides, I mean, if you're going to sit down and watch this game, you're going to hate it if you're sitting there rooting for points because those points just aren't going to come. And the only way you could have fun rooting this game, uh, watching this game is rooting against points and hoping to just see as much chaos, as much u- ugly football as possible. So under 28 and a half, I love that. I'm taking that all day. I wouldn't expect it to move much just because it's already an obscenely low over under. But honestly, I would take it if it was at 27. So um, under 28 and a half in the Iowa Rutgers game. Book it. That's my first Big Ten lock of week 11. My second lock will come from the Indiana-Illinois game. Uh, Indiana is six and a half point underdogs on the road, but they've been really played great the past two weeks. I think Indiana is playing the best football they have since that COVID season. Their defense, led by Aaron Casey, which I think is the most slept-on linebacker in the entire country, uh, he's been, I mean, that defense has been able to take away the run game. Brandon Sorsby is giving this team competent quarterback play for the first time all season. The coaching staff has, because of that, been more willing to open up the offense a little bit. And they're still playing for a chance to get to a bowl game. So plenty of motivation coming from the Indiana side. And don't forget, the Hoosiers actually beat Illinois last year, and that was a Hoosier team that was at no point last year was playing as well as they are this year, and Illinois, despite the improvement over the past few weeks, they still have not hit the level of play that they were at last year. And Luke Altmeyer, his availability for this game is still in question, have not heard any word out of Illinois, and as much as I love John Paddock for what he was able to pull off in those final three plays last week, it's hard to trust him to take over the starting duties and you know be as effective as Luke Altmaier has for the most part. Because I've you know I've talked to Luke about Luke Altmaier a lot on this um, podcast, and I think he's been doing really well considering what's surrounding him. And you also have to recognize that he is not anywhere near as mobile as Luke Altmaier is. Um, so. I, I really wouldn't be shocked to see Indiana pull off this upset. Um, I wouldn't go as far as picking that money line pick, although if you are interested in in great odds, Indiana money line is at plus two hundred, which is really intriguing. Could be a great bang for your buck because, uh, like I said, I think that I could absolutely see Indiana pulling this win off. But I'm honestly shocked to see the line all the way up near a touchdown. Again, this is another game that I feel like is a field goal game. I love Indiana to at least cover and keep it close at plus six and a half. So second Big Ten betting lock, Indiana plus six and a half against Illinois. Third, we are going to look at the Northwestern Wisconsin game in Madison where the Badgers are ten and a half point favorites. And I feel like the name brand of both these teams are what's really carrying the line because Wisconsin is spiraling right now. They are again going to be without Braylon Allen. That leaves their offense in a really tough position because Braden Locke, he's a serviceable quarterback if he has a run game to lean on, but I don't think you can really count on that with Jackson Acker and Cade Yacomelli as their primary ball carriers. Like they, they're, they are serviceable. They can catch you positive carries, a positive yardage on a consistent basis, but they are not hitting the hole like Braylon Allen does. They are not a threat in open space like Braylon Allen is. They are not ripping off chunk yardage for Wisconsin. Um, against the Northwestern team that has been very underrated against the run. And, you know, Northwestern is a really scrappy team that plays hard until the final whistle. I've, I've, talked about on a previous episode how much I love David Braun and I really really hope he gets that interim tag removed um, at the end of the season and becomes their full-time head coach because what he's done with this team has just been remarkable and the back end of the Wisconsin defense has been wildly inconsistent all year like they played really well against um, they played really well against Ohio State two weeks ago and then got kind of eaten up a little bit by 
by Brendan Soresby in Indiana last week. So it just doesn't make sense to me. And, you know, that part of the Northwestern offense, their pass attack is the one part of their offense that's actually given them some consistent, consistent success this season. So I think this is another case of me just being shocked that the line is this high. Yeah, I absolutely think Wisconsin should be the favorite, but I think their line should be more like what Illinois is over Indiana. I'm looking more at like six and a half. I can't believe it's all the way up at 10 and a half. The Big Ten West has proven time and time again this year that the gap between all of the teams in that division is minimal. Any team can be anyone else in that division on any given Saturday. As long as this line stays at 10 or above, I'm taking Northwestern to cover. I honestly feel like it's going to trend in Wisconsin's favor. So I might wait to see if we can get it up near 11, 12. Um, but as long as it stays above 10, my third Big 10 betting lock is Northwestern plus 10 and a half on the road against Wisconsin. My fourth lock will come from Columbus, Ohio, uh, where the Spartans are uh, traveling to take on Ohio State. Um, Ohio State gets to wear some cool alternative uniforms, all gray. They look really sexy if you haven't seen them, and that's probably the biggest reason why you should tune in for this game. It's in prime time again on NBC. I love NBC's production of the game, but this game should be an ugly one. Ohio State's 31.5 point favorites over the Spartans. And, you know, this game should probably be over by halftime. Uh, but granted, I do think 31 and a half is way too much for this Buckeye team against pretty much anyone at this point because they're winning with defense. Offense really hasn't been able to generate explosive plays. I think Ryan Day is more than satisfied, more than satisfied with winning ugly if it means they remain undefeated another week. Michigan State's run game has continued to be anemic, and essentially ineffective. Um, they were finally able to get a few big plays against Nebraska last week, but those came on a trick play and a few deep balls. Granted, really beautifully thrown deep balls by Kaiten Hauser, who still, I think, should have been starting uh, much, much longer ago than he actually did. But this secondary is the only secondary in all of college football to not allow a pass of more than 40 yards. And if Michigan State's plan to get some chunk yardage in this game is through the pass game and through, um, you know, heaving balls downfield, they're setting themselves up for failure. I'll tell you that right now so i with the way their run game is going and just their whole offense has just been ugly ugly all season long i wouldn't be shocked if the spartans end up getting shut out on the flip side though their defensive front has remained stout that remains the strength of their team and i think it might be tough for ohio state to run the ball consistently even with travion henderson but something tells me they might not be working travion henderson to death in this game um or next week for that matter because i i think it's become abundantly clear that ohio state does not have a shot against Michigan if Travion Henderson doesn't play. He is their run game, and outside of Marvin Harrison, by far their second best uh, offensive weapon. I mean, he carried Ohio State's offense against Rutgers. It was it's really been the Travion Henderson show the past couple weeks. He has been a, the more important player than Marvin Harrison has, uh, to be honest. So I think that uh, the Ohio State coaching staff might want to prioritize keeping Travion Henderson healthy. And against Michigan State and Minnesota, they shouldn't have the, the, the troubles they have had offensively against Wisconsin and Rutgers the past two weeks. So I think there's a good chance that we kind of see Travion Henderson get fewer carries. I think we'll see uh, more Chip Trainum, maybe even appearance from Dallin Hayden. Uh, but so again, I just think I'm not expecting a ton out of this Ohio State offense. Even though Michigan State's uh, secondary remains susceptible, it's probably going to be a big game for Marvin Harrison. I don't know what his prop pick is. It comes out on Friday. Um, might be leaning towards you know the over on Marvin Harrison receiving yards, but um, you know even if Ohio State scores 30, scores 38 points in this game. I feel like that, which would be a great day for this offense based off of how the past few weeks have gone, that still allows them 
to give up nine points to Michigan State and still hit the uh, hit the under. And like I said, I feel like it's likelier that Michigan State gets shut out than it is that they put up double digits on Ohio State. I mean, their defense is just clicking on all cylinders, and they should get Denzel Burke back, which is a huge plus. So I'm staying away from that cover. 31.5 is just too much for my liking, given how Ohio State has been winning football games recently. But I like the under at 47.5. Would jump on it now before it moves at all, because I'm sure kind of the public is jumping on the trend of Big Ten unders, and it's probably going to be a pretty close one. But fourth Big Ten betting lock under 47.5 when Michigan State travels to Columbus. My fifth and final Big Ten betting lock for Week 11 will come out of Lincoln, Nebraska, where Maryland is a a 2.5-point favorite on the road against the Huskers. And these are two programs that are seemingly going in different directions. Like I mentioned before, Maryland started off 5-0, and gained a lot of respect for how they challenged Ohio State in that first half, but since halftime of that game, they have been on a downward spiral, haven't won a game since then. Uh, Loxley, you mentioned Big Ten Championships this summer, and now they are uh, at a risk of missing out on a bowl game entirely. Nebraska has the same record as Maryland, but just get a much different vibe from that program. And it seems like they're in a much different position. I mean, even, even though they are coming off a disappointing loss to Michigan State, they still control their own destiny in the West. And frankly, a 6-6 six and six season would feel like a massive success in Matt Rule's first season. And like I mentioned, Maryland is a 2.5 point road favorite, but I like Nebraska to win. And this is a money line I'm probably pulling the trigger on. It's around plus 120 right now. And this honestly comes down more so than anything to my faith in um, or how I feel about the respective coaches. Matt Rule, on one hand, he makes me want to run through a brick wall, and I'm not even a Nebraska fan. And as flawed as their offense and quarterback situation is, you know they won't go down without a fight. And like you said, if we die, we die. And I just can't say the same thing about Maryland. I haven't seen much fight at all from this defense over the past three weeks. Um, I really thought after a disappointing couple games that they would be able to get up to play Penn State at home and really challenge them, but they got smoked from the get-go. And again, it was just no fight defensively. It seems like that the defensive side of the ball has almost given up. And the Maryland offense, meanwhile, continues to be the Talia Tonga Viola show. And he's a great quarterback. I love him, but he's out there playing hero ball. And he's trying to carry, I mean, it's not his decision. The coaching staff is trying to carry drives on his right shoulder. And even though he's talented, he is not a good enough decision maker for that to be a recipe for success. Nebraska, meanwhile, just absolutely harasses quarterbacks. <laughs> they were dem- obliterating Michigan State's offensive line last week, and I think they're going to make it a really long day for this Maryland offense. Um, the Husker offense on the flip-, flip side hasn't been pretty, but I think they can pick up some tough yards on the ground. As long as Harburg takes care of the ball, which is a big if, I think Nebraska can remain in control of this game. Again, their money line is up around plus 120. Um, I might be pulling the trigger on that but honestly probably a safer just to take the points because again i think i mean so many of these big 10 teams once you get outside the top five of ohio state penn state michigan Rutgers, and iowa there is just very little differentiation uh between the, all of these teams so um i think again it's going to be around a field goal game and if you can get the line at three it would definitely pounce on that because it's this is going to be another game that's tight throughout um, not sure now that I think about it, I'm not sure if that plus 120 is really worth the risk because Maryland could absolutely win this game. Nebraska is also a deeply flawed team, but I just, I have a hard time seeing why Maryland is a two and a half point favorite on the road, especially because this is one of the games where the crowd will be a factor. So Nebraska, I'm taking them plus two and a half at home. That is my fifth and final big 10 betting lock for week 11. And that'll do it for this week's episode of the floor slap college football podcast. 
I've been your host, Sean. Really glad I got back after this after a week off. Again, apologies for that, but hope you all can kick back and relax a great weekend of college football, not just in the Big Ten, but across the country. Uh, make sure you clear your schedule on Saturday because we only have a few college football Saturdays left, unfortunately. Um, and if you don't already, follow us on Twitter at The Floor Slap. Also, check out our website, thefloorslap.com. You know, college basketball has finally gotten underway. My partner, Jordan, has been pumping out college basketball content, so make sure you check it out there. And yeah, kick back, relax, enjoy a great weekend of football, stay safe, and we will catch you here next week for another episode of The Floor Slap Podcast.